Poco Langaya Villa, Australia Lagoro, twenty fifteen. Huang Lida, Arling Ulingenda, Audalia. Welcome to Australia in twenty fifteen. In this future, there are three main languages spoken English, Pitinjara, and Mandarin, and the cultural climate of the country has changed. This is Yukalara in the future. It's located in southeastern Australia, about an hour from the nearest city. Seven siblings live here on a plot of land that they inherited from their great grandmother. It's not always easy to live with your family, but they try to get along. Welcome to Modcast. In each episode of this series, you'll be introduced to one of the siblings from Yukalara, who each tread a different path for the future. Today, we meet Alex. Hi, I'm Alex. I've recently discovered that my great grandmother hacked her health monitoring device just a few months before she died. But I don't understand why. I'm Mika, and I'm your guide to Alex's world. Alex is a nurse who keeps track of all of their patients remotely through wearable trackers, and their core value is benevolence. Their patients are observed through their wearable medical devices by nurses like Alex. I'll speak to researchers about what challenges face Alex in order to discover what it takes to make Alex's version of 2050 a reality. It may seem strange to you to consider wearing a permanent healthcare monitor, but in 2050, it's the basis of all medical decisions and something that is essential for Alex to do their job. Healthcare trackers allow real-time monitoring of our health in both sickness and in health. It allows us more information than ever before, uh, which then allows us to make informed decisions about our healthcare as we go ahead. Dr Ash Smith is a research fellow in the School of Health Sciences at the University of South Australia. She says that there are a number of positive reasons to monitor an individual's health. The positives of tracking health, I guess, in chronic disease prevention. So we'll be able to understand quicker and earlier than ever before potential diseases that are going to crop up in people's lives as they move forwards in life. And some may argue that this information should always be available, especially to those who may have a history of illness in their family. All children born in Australian hospitals um, often have a heel prick. Um, so three days after they're born. There's some regulations around how we can use that DNA and I think that's particularly important. But also every time we get our hair cut, we're leaving a piece of our DNA on the floor. So I guess there's questions around who owns DNA and is it the individual or I guess more broadly, is it, is it the family? Because DNA is shared between family members, right? So um, if an individual is at an increased risk of disease, is it only fair that the family members have access to that information as well as the individual. But of course, there are also lots of considerations regarding healthcare tracking. We need to consider people's privacy. So new applications of wearable technology claim that they're able to assess how regularly, for example, an individual goes to the toilet and then they're able to either pass that information on to their carers or onto their clinicians. But I guess we need to really consider whether we want people to know how often we go to the toilet or, or who we want to share that information with. That's an important consideration around privacy. I guess other com important considerations include potentially using our data against us. So what if we're able to track our heart rate, for example, and we, we can do that now. What if insurance companies then decide that they're going to stop funding your health care 
or increase your premiums because of the information that they're starting to gather on you. In 2050, Alex is a medical professional where there are already strong ethical guidelines in place to manage health data and apply medical technologies. But Ash says in 2020, this is just being developed. I think it's a really important area for research. One of the things that we're doing around the neuroscience of wearable trackers is through the Australian Brain Alliance, we're ensuring that there's a big neuroethics component to brain research moving forwards in Australia. And I guess that's important because some neurotechnologies that I guess are designed to improve certain symptoms. So for example, deep brain stimulation is one technology that comes to mind. This technology improves movement symptoms in people with Parkinson's disease, but it also may have some unintended consequences for those individuals. So for example, deep brain stimulation may actually cause a number of compulsive side effects. So people may increase shopping behaviours, become hypersexual, increase impulsivity and also aggression. And so these are all considerations around the future of health and, and the future of neurotechnologies that I think are really important and should be considered through well-designed experiments and also the application of neuroethics in all the decisions that we make. I've been getting to wonder if maybe somehow she was depressed or trying to hide signs of dementia Alex's great-grandmother turned off a health monitor before she passed away. Is there a reason why someone might not want their health to be monitored? But I guess there does come a period in life where you may actually not want to maintain health. You may want to move on to the next thing beyond life. And I think allowing people that opportunity to choose when, when they don't want to be able to maintain living is really important. In Alex's world, each client has individually tailored medication that best prevents them from illness or disease. But in 2020, this hasn't happened yet. My current understanding is that everybody gets given the same prescription or relative to height or weight. And I think as we move forward in pharmacy and we move forward in dementia prevention and all sorts of other areas of research, we are moving towards a more person-centred approach instead of applying a um, large population approach to things. And I think that that's really positive. So it's really as we move into this big data world, it is considering those ethics together with the science and what's best for humankind as we move forward. Monitors and surveys are being used now to determine factors that might signify deteriorating health or illness, such as dementia. And the decision on how to use that information sits with the individual. But by 2050, when this technology is such an important part of Alex's work, that may not be the case. So, when someone is monitoring you 24-7, a question arises, who owns that data? Wearable trackers are already a commercial enterprise. They're not actually owned by the government, for instance, um, or the public health system. They're owned by proprietary software companies. Those companies have a vested interest in selling our data. That's how they make their money. And so the idea that we can have privacy and wearable trackers at the moment is, I just think, 
It's not happening now. Why would it be happening in 2050? Dr Sal Humphreys is a senior lecturer at the University of Adelaide. Her research interests focus on new media on cultural institutions such as intellectual property, governance, citizenship and rights. She thinks that there are serious considerations for exactly what information is important to share and what is done with it. So I feel quite bleak about wearable trackers. I think that wearable trackers will institute a regime of surveillance from which there is no escape. And I think everybody needs the privacy of not being monitored, at least for some parts of their lives, that we all need a sanctuary that we can retreat to where we're not being watched by anything or any device. And I think we're already seeing with, you know, the introduction of home assistants, as they're called, or digital assistants that, you know, have microphones and cameras all through the house that monitor everything that's going on. They're listening all the time because they're waiting, you know, supposedly for us to ask them a question. But they're also trying to preempt what we want or need. And I think that that preemption is going to be very much preemption in the interests of commercial operators. So they'll preempt us with suggestions for particular products or particular, I don't know, actions that will serve the interests of somebody who's trying to make a profit out of our experience. Sorry, I just have to check this. There's a small problem. I need to contact the patient. In Alex's job, these monitors are being utilised everywhere. But in 2020, Sal warns us that we need to truly understand the technology that we are using. We have to have those discussions before the technology is implemented. So, what happens when people can access all of your personal health data? Their data can be taken from that application, sold to a data analytics company, or commercial enterprises who who um, put it into big data sets with other data that you've generated, who start profiling you, and so they create these ever more granular profiles of people. It's like you have a data self, which is, for their purposes, sufficient, but it's not necessarily completely accurate. Your data profile can inform more than just decisions around your health. It can impact your access to essential services, such as housing or employment. You go onto an employment website, for instance, and you go, okay, here, here's my CV, here's, you know, you do a little profile and they probably marry it up to a, an analytics profile that they can get from elsewhere as well. Then they start um, showing you job ads. Which job ads are you seeing? You're not seeing all the job ads. Okay, so there's already research that shows that, for instance, in Chicago, the 90% of the job ads for that were worth over 200000 a year, so jobs that were highly paid, were not being shown to women. So if you don't even know the job exists, you don't apply for it, right? In the same way, if you don't know that the house is available, you don't get to go and apply for it. Your access to all sorts of opportunities in the world is constrained by your data profile. And if your Fitbit information is being fed into your data profile and you're actually not very fit, you know, you're on the, you're on the road to it, but <laughs> actually you're not there yet, it can be used against you, right? And 
it's not okay. Did you know that was happening? I mean, it's already happening. So who knows where it'll be in 2050, but I would suggest (laughs) we probably can't even imagine. We're moving towards a world where everyone knows everything about us. But could Alex's great-grandmother have simply just wanted some privacy? I think that people still want privacy, but don't feel like they can get it. And so there's this way in which you feel like you're almost obliged to participate in the system in order to get the social things that you need out of, the, out of life. And the price for that is your privacy, but people don't give that up willingly. And people really wish they could have it still some, at least some. In Alex's future, for most people, issues of privacy seem to be outweighed by the benefits to their health. In the interest of a functioning society, where services can be delivered on demand, perhaps that's what had to be given up. But would you want to be constantly monitored? Absolutely not. I would not feel comfortable with that at all, because I feel like that if something can monitor me and tell me whether or not I'm all right or not, then that could lead to like not hysteria but like you can start thinking something's worse than it actually is or if like say you've got a cold or something and it's telling you you need to go see someone because you've got bacteria in your body or like something like that and you're sick but it can take away your body's ability to take care of itself if that makes sense because you're not going to recognize when you're sick you're just going to be looking at something that monitors whether or not you're all right or not if you get like a ton of people that are dependent on this thing and it suddenly fails or it's suddenly stops working that could hurt or injure or do a lot of harm to a lot of people as opposed to what it's supposed to be doing so being able to depend on yourself and being able to register whether or not you're sick as opposed to depending on a piece of machinery to tell you I think it's not a good idea. You know I think being sick is part of being alive and you know I know when I'm sick and I know when I'm not healthy like I smoke like an absolute chimney so if I was to be monitored 24-7, what would the monitor be saying that I'm constantly unhealthy? The future will come from the choices made today. Would you like this future? This episode of Modcast is one of seven episodes in our Seven Siblings from the Future series, produced by Radio Adelaide Podcast Works. Today's episode was produced by me, Mika Botchell, with series senior producer Sarah Martin. Thanks to Dr. Sal Humphreys and Dr. Ash Smith for their insights in this episode, and to Natalie Kafara, Elkie Kleinig, Kristen Alford and Nikki Marcel for the background support and resources. The Seven Siblings from the Future podcast series is supported by MOD at the University of South Australia and is linked to an exhibition on site from November 2019 to May 2020. For more info, go to mod.org.au.